Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Welcome to episode number 291 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about how to find tennis happiness. Sometimes on this show, we talk about technique, sometimes mental toughness, sometimes strategy or gear. Today, we're going to be talking about mindset and kind of big picture, how you perceive the game, what your goals are, what what exactly are you fighting for out there, and most importantly, are you enjoying it? And many players who take the sport very seriously frequently find themselves, they kind of look up after months or years of really focusing on improvement and kind of wonder to themselves, where did, where did all the enjoyment go. I, I used to be so happy playing tennis. Now I get angry at myself. I get frustrated. What, where, did that, where did that enjoyment go? And we're going to be talking about that today. And we're going to structure this within the, basically the structure of this episode is going to be a little bit different. To be honest, this is kind of a personal, um, not personal story, but kind of a personal, just something I've been thinking about a lot recently. And I think the best way to illustrate it is with three different stories. Two of them are personal stories of mine. And one of them is uh, an outside story that I heard on a podcast recently uh, on a different podcast. I'll tell you about that. And so let's just go ahead and dive right into it. The All three stories kind of illustrate exactly what I'm going for. And, I, and we'll have some not necessarily application, but we'll, we'll come to a conclusion by the end of the episode in a couple of different spots and give you something to think about and ponder on. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one because definitely a little bit different approach here, a little bit different topic. And I'm curious to hear if this resonates with many of you out there. Uh, as always, if, if you ever have any topic suggestions or if you have a, a question you'd like me to answer on the show, or you just want to check in and and uh, say hi, you can shoot me an email to Ian, that's I-A-N, at EssentialTennis.com. Okay, story number one is one that some of you have probably heard, but many of you probably have not. And it's a story about how I quit playing tennis. And really quickly, quick backstory, I started playing tennis when I was 11 or 12, really just kind of randomly, one one summer, my mom was trying to find something for me to do, and a local high school program had a, like a summer rec instructional thing. It was not very structured at all, and I'm sure the quality of the instruction was very low. But I, I for some reason, I gravitated really strongly, very quickly to tennis as as a young child, and as I b- became a teenager and. began to move through my adolescent years, tennis became really important to me because it was kind of my my safe place, my happy place. Uh, I felt kind of alone during that period of my life. I wasn't very close with my family. And it was very much kind of a, a life raft for me. And it's where I kind of found purpose and meaning and happiness. And it was a really important part of my life. It was probably what I enjoyed and loved most about life for several years during my teenage years. And when I finally got to play in high school tennis 
for, for two years. I was homeschooled until I was a junior in high school. And I played two years of high school tennis and was very much a big fish in a little pond. I went to a small private school. And by the time I was 17, I, I played as much as I could, as much as my family's finances allowed for. And I had become you know, pretty good within the context of that small of an environment. And so was immediately, you know, number one, like singles, set records at the school for for wins just in two years, et cetera, et cetera. And then when I went to college, my focus changed completely. It was a big uphill battle for me just to make the team. It was a Division II school, and they were top 20, top 30 in Division II. They would make it to the national tournament, the NCAA national tournament, which was the just the final 16 teams. And and so I didn't make it my first year. And that was like really crushing to me. And I worked unbelievably hard my freshman year and made the team my second year. But even then, I was always the bottom of the lineup. And I was, you know, I had to be the, the scrappy, like try hard player, which suited my personality perfectly. But every day, without realizing it, more and more and more, I was just striving for perfection. And that's very much kind of inherent in my, in my personality. If I'm going to take the time to do something, I definitely want to do it right. I want to do it to the best of my ability, especially when it's me out there and I have per- personal kind of pride on the line and I've, I'm a very competitive person. And so tennis really is kind of a perfect storm for me of kind of thoughtfulness and being analytical and uh, adding speed and tactics and technique and smoothness. And every day I tried to do everything better because I was fighting for that bottom spot on the team and I, I loved it. It was, it was incredible opportunity for me. And I won a lot more than I lost at that bottom spot. But as the years went on, as kind of match after match, practice after practice, I got more and more unhappy. The first year, really, I was probably just living the dream. And my junior year, my second year, my first kind of full year on the team, I started getting more and more hard on myself. I started to become angry with myself more frequently on the courts. And both in a macro sense and in a micro sense. Micro meaning I would miss a shot and get just really, really angry. I mean, you've seen you've seen the types on the court. Maybe you are one of those types if you're if you're being honest with yourself. With yourself, in a micro sense, I'd be really hard at my on myself after missing a, what I would think would be a routine shot or even a very very difficult shot. I'd, I'd really get down on myself very very quickly. And in a macro sense, I, I became less and less happy on the courts, more angry, less satisfied. And it got to the point where my senior year, it, everything kind of came to a head. And I, I got to the point where I realized, my, my gosh, like this is just not even worth it anymore. The frustration and the anger got to the point where it just didn't make any sense to keep playing. And some other players had joined the team. My, my coach, took me off of singles. I was just playing doubles once in a while. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to quit, which is unbelievably unlike me, even with outside the context of it being tennis. But at that point in my life, as a 21-year-old, maybe, maybe t- oh, yeah, almost 22, 21-year-old, within the context of my life, tennis had been the most important thing to me, period, in, in my life. And so, 
I had this kind of moment where, where I just kind of had this reflection period where I just kind of had to take a step back and evaluate. And, and at that point, I had every intention of going into tennis to be uh, a teaching pro. I wanted to make tennis my career. It was my goal from since before high school. And I was I was on that path, and it's exactly what happened. But I I quit competing. I quit playing. I quit being a practitioner of my own game and my own skills because I became so unhappy on the courts. And I, I just had to st- take a step back and wonder and evaluate how did this happen? How did it come to this? And now I'm going to skip forward uh, a couple years in my life. And this is after I'd quit my job on the East Coast after years of teaching full-time. My wife and I moved back to Wisconsin. I was doing the website full-time. This is probably three or four years into running Essential Tennis full-time. And I, I was relative, relatively sedentary at that point in time. I, I wasn't really playing any tennis. I had taken kind of a sabbatical from playing after being on the court and being really close to being burned out as a teaching pro for years and years and years. It was such a relief to, to not have to be in that grind anymore and focus on my content, the podcast and videos, making courses, and then occasionally occasionally doing clinics and that sort of thing. And I wanted to start working out, but I didn't really find anything that really, really motivated me. And then I found CrossFit, which was starting to get really popular, like 20, 2011, uh, 2012, somewhere in there. And that's, that's when I picked it up. And I loved the intensity. I loved the, the competitive nature of it. I loved the com- camaraderie of it. Those are all things that I loved about college tennis, too. And, and CrossFit kind of rolled that into getting in better shape and getting stronger. And if you aren't familiar with, with CrossFit, more than like, I mean, if you're more than likely you're familiar with CrossFit, but really quickly, in case you're not, it's basically high intensity interval training, but with heavy weights, but with weight training. And it's, it's not all heavy weights. There, there's lots of body weight stuff uh, and even rowing and, and running and, and that sort of thing. And CrossFit can be excellent. Like I don't, I don't have like a bone to pick with cross, CrossFit per se. And in fact, at first, like it was a great catalyst for me to get back into feeling like I was an athlete again and, and f- feeling like I was training myself again. I was trying to be the best I could be at something. And I always wanted to, to gain a little bit of size and strength and be a little bit stronger. And that's exactly what CrossFit was all about, was just going bigger and harder and being more hardcore day after day after day. And that really appealed to me. And I really got sucked into that. And for my in my first three months in CrossFit, I gained five pounds per month, and in total, I I gained twenty five pounds, which for me is is really big. I went from below one hundred fifty pounds at six feet tall to uh, my most ever, which is one seventy five, and strongest I've ever been for sure, and best in shape in a lot of different ways that I've ever been, but. There was, there was so many downsides to the way that I was pursuing it. And again, I, I want to be really clear. Like this isn't, I'm not saying I think CrossFit has an inherent problem, although we could have that conversation. But I think the way in which I pursued it and the way in which I allowed myself to really become obsessive about 
going bigger and stronger and getting bigger and bigger goals. And every day it was about doing more weight than, than, than the day before. It was about constantly besting myself and constantly trying to best the people around me. And it was all, it was all about the end goal, each and both in a micro sense and also in a macro sense. And so in time, my body started getting really beat up. And I, I did this pretty full time. When I say full time, I mean like three, four or five times a week. And for about a year and a half, maybe two years or so. And it was just, I, my body started getting really beat up. And I was I was pushing myself until I threw up sometimes. Uh, my shoulder, which gave me a lot of trouble in college, really started acting up again, my, my dominant shoulder. I was pulling and tweaking muscles in my back and my neck frequently. Keep in mind, like my frame, again, like my normal, my like inactive weight is below 150 and six feet tall. So, so I was putting my really thin naturally, you know, frame through a lot of stress. And then all of a sudden one day I had kind of the big one and it was of course during a competition and I really hurt my lower back badly. And it's, that was, oh geez, it's probably been three, four, maybe five years ago now, three or four years. And I'm still something I'm trying to recover from. And it's, probably something I'm going to have to actively work on for the rest of my life to, to keep it from, from coming back and being like a chronic issue. And I'm able to manage it, but for months, I wasn't able to manage it. And it was a really, really bad injury. And I've, I've been to all kinds of specialists about it. And there's not really a fix per se. It's just something I'm constantly going to have to maintain in order to be as active as I want to be in other areas of life. So those are my kind of two stories. What, what do they have in common? I, I told you a tennis story from my personal life. I told you a workout story from my personal life. In both instances, I was fixated really intensely and really strongly on an end result instead of the process. What I mean by that is my focus shifted from the doing of a thing. And in one instance, the thing was tennis and improving, competing, trying to win. And in CrossFit, it was trying to get stronger, trying to get bigger, trying to be in better shape. And I shifted my focus from the doing of the thing and like the process or the journey of learning and improvement and mastery. And I shifted my focus instead to achievement and very, very much goal focused and trying to, you know, top myself, best myself, reach a new height, a new uh, pinnacle each and every day. And in both cases, it became an obsession. And that obsession eclipsed why I loved the thing in the first place. And so, and it, a really deep kind of fulfilling enjoyment of each of those endeavors, both tennis and, and working out for me, became completely replaced by an obsession for trying to achieve more and more and more and beat more and more people and do it more and more perfectly and, and try to become like perfection of whatever it was that I was trying to do. And so in both cases, something that I really loved and enjoyed became painful to me. In tennis, it was very much emotionally 
and psychologically became really painful for me. And in the case of CrossFit, very much physically, uh, I was in a lot of pain physically and emotionally and psychologically too. I mean, I, I really resented it for a while, uh, beat myself up about it because I let myself kind of get out of control and went through, you know, resentment of the, the sport of CrossFit and, and coaching and like kind of the culture of CrossFit. Um, but again, blame myself as well for kind of getting caught up in it and not being more self-aware of how extreme uh, of a place I went with it. You know, and again, just to be really, really clear, like CrossFit can be incredible for people. And I've, you know, seen huge personal transformations and it's done a lot of good in the lives of a lot of people. There's also a lot of people uh, like me. And so again, like another talk we can have uh, over beers someday if you want, I'm just going to leave it at that for now. I'm not, just to be very clear, I'm not blaming CrossFit. I, I take responsibility for for my own actions and my own uh, intensity and my own quality of what I was doing. Okay, so that's what those things have in common. We're going to get to the moral of, of the story in a second. But first, one more story that I think is a perfect illustration. And I heard this on the Tim Ferriss podcast. If you're not familiar with the Tim Ferriss podcast, I highly recommend you subscribe if you're at all interested in in mastering anything in particular. Uh, By the way, it's Ferriss, F-E-R-R-I-S-S. Basically, what Tim does is he has world-class achievers in all kinds of different disciplines on the show, and then he works to try and deconstruct why they're so good at what they do. And it could be investors, athletes, chess prodigies, actors, um, all kinds of different disciplines and walks of life. It's not just physical achievement, but also mental. And he's got, he has entrepreneurs on, business people, all kinds of different disciplines. And it's really fascinating to hear him try to kind of break down to lowest common denominator what makes these people successful. And so I apologize. I don't, don't, don't remember who which guest this story was from, but this guest told the story of his own journey through cycling near his home in California. And he lives right by the beach, pretty sure it was LA area, Southern California, right by the ocean front. And he started cycling as a way to, to get in shape. And he kind of found a route that he really enjoyed. And, and so he would take the same route every day. And so he would go down this uh, trail, down this bike path, and then back up again, back to his home. And after a while, he started keeping track of his time since he was kind of a competitive person and he wanted to see how fast he could do it. And so day after day, he would push harder and harder and harder. And and at first it was super exciting because he saw big improvements right away. And he was like super pumped that, all right, sweet, I'm getting in better shape. I'm I'm learning how to ride more efficiently. He was learning how to do the thing better. And so he, at first it it led to more enjoyment, but then as he continued to push, his time started to flatten out. It got to the point where he really plateaued. And then after a while, he, he just got to the point where he would be at the end of his rides, completely spent physically and also emotionally because he was pushing himself so hard and he started to have so much intensity physically, but also emotionally Because anything that would keep him from shaving, you know, a second off of his time, it was like a a 40-minute ride. 
and if any little thing that would that would um, cost him a couple of seconds, whether it was the conditions, it was a really windy day, or something was wrong with some of his equipment, or maybe there'd be slower people on the trail that day that would get in his way and, and kind of hold him up for a little while here and there, or any absolutely anything else, all of a sudden he started getting unbelievably frustrated while he was pushing as hard as possible physically. And so he reached this plateau point and he kind of stayed at the same, basically the same time for a couple weeks and then a couple months. And he started getting really burned out. And it got to the point where he was just like, you know what? Screw it. He got super frustrated. And then one day he decided to just, I, you know what? I'm just going to bike the trail. Like I'm tired of like being frustrated about this. I'm just going to go out, get on my bike, do the trail and, and just just relax just just for today I, i'm just i need to i need to just calm down and just take my time and on that ride after months and months of trying to perfect this same course and pushing against himself and all these other elements around him day after day after day after day he was shocked to remember how many beautiful things were around him the whole time. He had completely closed himself off to everything around him. There were people uh, to, to notice and to appreciate. There, were, there was the ocean, of course, and trees and interesting houses and buildings. And on his way back, he saw dolphins out in the water and everything. It was just like a beautiful, sunny day. And he he had forgotten about all of these things around him. But the most surprising thing was he, he got done with his ride. He's, he felt great. He was, he was like, wow, that was amazing. I totally forgot about all those different things. I, I forgot how much I can really enjoy the, the, that, the process of just getting on my bike and just riding someplace and enjoying the practice of riding instead of needing to achieve something more again and again and again and again. But the most amazing thing was he looked down at his clock and he saw that his time was just a couple minutes slower. It was like a 40-minute ride, like at his best time. He had just broken 40 minutes and he did the ride in like 36 or 37. I don't remember the actual numbers, but it was some small marginal difference. He felt great physically. He felt great emotionally. He felt great mentally. He didn't have any of the stress or any of the strain. He still got a good workout and he was so much happier because he just enjoyed the process of riding his bike. And I thought that was a really, really good illustration. I mean, it easily could be turned into like a proverb of some kind. Uh, it was actually like a, a real personal story. And at the end of the day, the moral of the story here for me and the thing that I would love for you to take away from this episode is that it's easy for us, especially in the Western world, and I, I know my audience is all over the world, but here, here in America, where I've grown up, where I've been raised, and the culture that I've kind of been saturated with, and in particular, as a, as a male growing up, you know, in the 80s, in the 90s, there's this just huge emphasis on, on achievements and setting goals and fixating on 
coming to an arrival of some some point and having some kind of big like breakthrough and that's what everybody's looking for every time they do anything and there's almost this attitude as if man if i'm just if i'm not having some kind of breakthrough on a regular basis then why am i even doing this like this is just a waste of time and i want to draw your attention quickly i don't know if i've talked to i think i've talked about it briefly before on the podcast there's a psychological phenomenon called the arrival fallacy and you can look look it up if you want to go in if you want to go into depth with it but basically what it what it is is that we have this internal this internal instinct for whatever reason that we we tell ourselves when we get this car or this house or when i make this much money or when i get to this level when i play on this team uh, at my at my tennis club if i win this tournament then then I'll be a good tennis player. Then I will have made it. Then all this hard work and all the blood, sweat, and tears and all the frustration and pushing and striving, all of it will be worthwhile. But usually by the time we get there, it's not a big deal anymore. In fact, it probably took longer than we thought. And by the time we, we get to that goal or that aspiration, you're thinking to yourself, why did this take so long? Oh, of course, I should, I should be a 4-0 player by now. I, it's, it's taken twice as long as I thought it would. And so not only is there no payoff, but a lot of times there's actually a letdown because we've already fixated our gaze on the next thing, on the next horizon, on the next level, on the next serve my, miles per hour, on the next skill, on the next win, on the next tournament victory. And we don't, It not only does it, not only are we not happy, not only are we not satisfied, but we're right down at the bottom of the mountain again, and everything becomes drudgery, and where there used to be happiness, where there used to be fulfillment, now it's just, it's painful psychologically, and it can even be painful physically, as it has been for me in the past. So if you're listening to my voice, and you're working hard on your game, because you want to play on so-and-so team, or be rated so-and-so rating, or win so-and-so tournament, my plea to you is to stop. I've learned from personal experience that the best approach is to do the thing because you love doing the thing. And for you, that means just playing because you just love to play. Awesome. If all the if you're pushing for improvement and you just don't really find fulfillment in that, and it's like, you know what, I'd rather just play, then be honest with yourself and just play and just enjoy playing. And don't put all, all that pressure on yourself to improve. If you love to improve and you, you love you love working on the new technical thing and, and practicing it and honing it. And videoing yourself and saying, oh, okay, I've almost got it, but not quite. I still need to do this thing. And you find satisfaction and, and gratification and learning new skills. And you love looking back over the last six months and saying, wow, look at all the different things I'm able to do now. And that brings you a lot of enjoyment and, and fulfillment. Then that's great. Do that. But don't attach it to an outcome. Please don't tell yourself that you're doing it so that you can reach a certain rating or reach a certain play on a certain team or, or anything. Because as soon as you attach it to an outcome, as soon as you attach it to a specific achievement, 
every day that you don't reach that outcome feels like a failure. Maybe not at first. Maybe when it's new and it's fresh, you'll still love it and enjoy it. But as time wears on and you're three years in to trying to achieve that goal and it feels like the last six months you've been kind of spinning your wheels and you're on a bit of a plateau, having that goal on your mirror in the bathroom isn't what's going to help you keep on keeping on. Or if you do, just out of stubbornness, your enjoyment of the process will decline and your fulfillment of going to the court and putting in the reps day after day after day will decline. And so I'd love for you to just kind of take away from this that I just, I want, I want you of course, I want you to get better. I want you to improve. That's been the, the, the purpose of this show from the very beginning. But I also don't want you to improve at the, at the sacrifice of your happiness because that's, that, that's not sustainable. In time, you will get burned out just as I have been burned out. And so my attitude is very different these days. I worked out, I worked out this morning. I got up at, at, 4:40 in the morning to go work out and it wasn't to try to lift as much as possible. I'm still trying to be strong. I'm still trying to keep some muscle mass on because even at even at 37 years old, if I stop lifting, I lose weight. I don't gain weight. And so I, I'm still trying to, you know, maintain just a physical place where I, I feel I feel good about myself. I feel strong. And I do that now in a much lower intensity way. And I do it to the point where I enjoy the process of doing it. I don't need any outside um, accountability or motivation or inspiration to go do it. I go do it because it feels good. And when I play tennis, I do it because it feels good. And it's not that I'm never disappointed with myself and I, I never wish I could do better. That'll always be there. But the overall thrust of why I'm doing it is very different. And so I hopefully this has given you some perspective Hopefully, it's been helpful to you, in particular, if you found yourself less happy recently. And if you want to dive deeper into this, I've given you a couple different resources, uh, but really my favorite one recently is a book called Mastery by George Leonard. I've talked about it in the last year or so, maybe six months on the podcast before. It really, in a very systematic way, lays out uh, the the enjoyment of the journey as opposed to needing some kind of arrival, needing that that um, achievement, that goal based purpose behind what you're doing. That that fundamental shift can make all the difference between you being miserable doing what you used to love and having a decades long journey of happiness and fulfillment on the court. Really curious what you think about today's episode. Shoot me an email to ian at essentialtennis.com. Thank you so much for listening and take care. For more free game-improving instruction, be sure to check out essentialtennis.com where you'll find hundreds of video, audio, and written lessons. Also, be sure to subscribe to Essential Tennis on iTunes and YouTube where we are the number one resource in the world providing passionate instruction for passionate tennis players. Thank you so much for listening today. Take care and good luck with your tennis.